Robot, and we've got a special guest with us today. Not like every guest that joins me on the show is special in one way or another, and I don't mean in the lick the pace special type of way. Uh, today we have Mr. Ben Padden. Hello, and hello, Ben. Hello, Ben. It's an old <laughs> joke, but it's a good one. It is a good one. Uh, what makes Ben Padden special? Well. Why don't you tell us yourself, Mr. Pat? Uh, oh, gosh. I mean, I've done so many things over the last 10 years. Um, uh, I co-wrote and co-produced the four-part Left for Dead parody web series Boomer's Day Off, which has an accumulated, I think, 5.6 million views, views on YouTube. Um, I co-wrote and co-produced uh, the six-part Doctor Who parody web series Dalek Gary, which has significantly fewer hits, but, you know, they can't all be winners. Um, I am the, uh, uh, I was the head writer of the science fiction comedy webcomic Jump Leads, which uh, at its peak had tens and tens of thousands of view, uh, view, uh, viewers every day, and is currently in the process of being adapted as uh, a sci-fi comedy audio play series, which will be releasing as a free podcast, because I'm a mad person, and like just giving stuff away. Um, and most recently, uh, I'm probably best known for British Candy Authority and Port Center, where I talk about, uh, British Candy Authority, I talk about American candy, I eat a, I eat a candy bar, and outline its shortcomings in an unscripted vlog, and Port Center is, uh, me talking about interesting and unique ports, conversions, re-releases of old video games, what makes them unique, good, bad, etc. Um, and I've been doing that on and off now for, three years, blimey. <laughs> Yeah. Trust me, it, chances are somebody's heard your British accent somewhere on the internet at some point. Yeah, I've, I'm, I've, I pop up in weird places. I've done uh, guest spots on, uh, as, as an example, the, 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 the now defunct Chainsaw Suit podcast with Mikey Newman and Chris Jaub. Uh, I, I'm on the Chainsaw, uh, Chainsaw Suit original YouTube channel. It's where Port Center technically lives at the moment. Uh, and I have narrated a did you know gaming video as well so uh so that i you know, did not know you didn't know yeah that was that happened i want to say last year or the year before um it was an episode about uh the uh super mario brothers 2 or super mario usa as it's called in japan uh or doki doki panic if you want to be that person oh i totally am that person i am cool. so that actually i yeah. i don't know shit about it <laughs> um uh I, so now, uh, let's get to the meat of the question that I, I basically begin everything else. How'd you get started writing? I mean, um, oof, there's a question. Was there more to the question? Because I feel like I just cut you off. Well, I mean, the one thing I always, so far I've been beginning with was, tell us your resume. But, I mean, you basically gave me your yeah. resume. But, I mean, I guess now, and always the next question yeah. is, how do you get? How did you get started? I mean, what was your the first thing you started writing? Uh, oh God! I mean, if we go back to my youth, uh, the first fully formed story that I remember writing, start to finish, and then printing and binding as a kind of novella, if you like, uh, was 
and this is gonna this is gonna both date me and make me seem ever so slightly pathetic. Lemmings fan fiction. Um, not, <laughs> no, I mean when when they did Lemmings to the tribes, there was you know they they had tried to create an actual law and uh, you know a narrative for the for the game. It wasn't just get the lemmings from the you know from the uh, from the the trapdoor to the exit. It, they actually tried to craft a story where you're, you've, there's these twelve tribes on an island and you're trying to get them to the the center so they can ride the ark to freedom because I guess Armageddon's coming or some such nonsense. Um, so I wrote a a fan what, what I didn't realize at the time, but you know I can look back on it now and see it. It was a fan fiction um, about a lemming who was tasked with visiting every one of the twelve tribes and letting them know about the impending disaster. And it wasn't particularly interesting or or, or uh, entertaining or uh even good uh but it was an a story and it was this just this journey that i can't even remember what the character's name was but just that he took um and then i would also i did little writing assignments for for school and uh i wrote another piece of fan fiction based on the alien breed video games by team 17 who later went on to make worms and super frog and so on um and i used to write short sketches and skits um which were at the time very very heavily influenced by monty python um, to the point where I would actually have skits interrupted or outright brought to an abrupt end by a very uh, kind of aggressive British policeman who was frustrated with how silly things had gotten. Very Graham Chapman. Um, in fact, it, uh, well, it was lift. It was a direct lift. It was a lift of Graham Chapman. But I learned, f- for me, I learned about writing through reading screenplays for things like, you know, telescripts and screenplays for things like Star Trek The Next Generation and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy audio plays. I would I would have the scripts open on my lap and watch the episodes, or in the case of Hitchhiker's Guide, listen to them. Um, I always knew that I wanted to tell stories, and I always knew that I wanted to write stuff. Um, and that's just, I guess that's just kind of what I fell into. I wouldn't say, well, maybe fallen into is the wrong thing, because it was something I was actively craved. It's, it's one of the reasons I moved... Uh, from England, which is a thoroughly depressing and defeatist place to live. Oh my uh, god! It's, and I, I just lost all my English listeners, even though, <laughs> <laughs> even well, though the listeners are very small right now. But that's cool. It's five English listeners, and I am two of them. Yay! Uh, <laughs> two. Well, I, I subscribe. I subscribe on iTunes and on Podkicker on my Android phone. Um, but no, I mean England is a very the English um, for for the country that basically won the second world war they're surprisingly defeatist people you tell them that you want to be a writer or an actor or a stand-up comedian and their attitude is well uh, yeah maybe but that's probably not going to work out so you want to get yourself a regular job full-time and you know you want to get yourself a house and a mortgage and find someone settle down get married squeeze out some kids go home eat dinner watch telly eat sleep work sleep eat sleep work sleep die um and i got very Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say. I mean, I got I got very little in the way of actual support from from friends and family in the UK. Uh, I forgot to put my phone on silent. I got very little support from from friends and family in the UK, and it took. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I decided to move here because whenever I'd come to visit my dad, because my dad had moved to Los Angeles in '97. Uh, whenever I would come to visit here, everyone was so supportive and enthusiastic and. Um, and so I moved here in 2007 and, you know, I mean, people say, oh, Los Angeles is full of phonies and, you know, nobody really gives a shit. And, you know, my, my feeling is I will take fake enthusiasm over genuine depression any day of the week. I would rather be, um, I would rather be 
pushed on and spurned on, spurned on, that's what spurred on, I guess, is probably the actual word. I would rather have that, in, that fake encouragement from people who aren't actually invested than people who actually claim to love me and support me and care about who I am and what I want to do, telling me not to do it because it, there's no point because I'm not going to succeed anyway. Like, I know the odds are stacked against me. Like, trying to make it as a creative in the creative field, like, that's a bit, you have a billion to one chance, a billion to one chance of making it as a creative but as terry pratchett so astutely observed billions to one chances happen nine times out of ten and you, they cannot happen to you if you don't make the effort if you don't put yourself out there so that's one of the reasons why i moved to america was to try to make that happen yeah and just letting you know it's not just england that's like this actually a lot of places yeah oh, there are places in, in america, america too like yeah america yeah. It has places like that where, you know, people don't get why you would want to be a writer or an actor or a stand-up comedian or a novelist or a musician. You know, anyone who wants to do something that is creative is going is gonna to come up against people who don't understand that need, that want. that. I know people who are professional voice actors, for example, who have been doing it for, you know, for, for decades and, and, and are actually making a living at it. Like That's their primary income. And they still get asked by their family, by their mothers and you know brothers and sisters and 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 you know family members so when are you going to get a proper job and it's like this is it this is what they want to do this is what i want to do i may i may not be a household name yet i may not have a sizable fan base but you know we all start somewhere mm -hmm. no absolutely and that's one of the reasons i wanted i wanted this uh podcast to exist because people don't hear this enough and you believe it or not there are a ton a ton of cities and a ton of, ton of locations in america all over the world where people don't feel this way or yeah. people do feel this way that they're like well why are you doing this why would you want to go into this creative field and this is a way to like help people out and say no you can do this and even if you're in bfe Arkansas or whatever, <laughs> I or North yeah. Carolina or we'll even say like uh in across the country in Europe in Germany Australia wherever I mean, even even here in L A you know I mean just because L A is is a, a place where you know creatives come and congregate uh that doesn't mean you're not going to face that you know here as well there are people here who you know say I want to be a I want to be a writer I want to mm -hmm. be a director or you know a producer and people go what but why do you want to do that and it's like well you're not the one doing it so why do you care like let this person who has a dream and has an ambition and, and drive and, and 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 a goal let them work towards it and if they're successful that's fantastic and if they're not be there for them don't be such a fucking negative nancy don't do it don't be that person exactly now, I got a question. Um, you mentioned, like, your first startings of, like, writing in general. But what about yeah. writing that started to make waves, like, in the network or in on the Internet? Or maybe even, like, uh, you started getting paid for it or whatever. The Well, the first thing that I wrote that I was actively putting online that wasn't fan fiction because I was writing uh, – for a short while I was writing Discworld and Red Dwarf fanfic under a pseudonym – um, but the first thing that I put on the internet under my own name uh, that I was happy with and proud of, I did a webcomic from 2003 to 2006 called Fried, F-R-I-E-D. Don't look for it because it doesn't exist anymore. It's not online. Um, pardon me. 
in my youth, you can edit the burp out or you can not. <laughs> whatever you want with that. I, could, I didn't uh, even hear it. So I, I was like, I felt it. I thought it was louder than it was, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've always, I'm not so much now because I, I, I have tendonitis, so I can't actively hold a pen, but I, I used to, used to doodle a lot as a kid and that, uh, grew into an interesting in cartooning and comics. Um, and for three years, I was doing a webcomic, um, called Fried. Which featured a character called Joe, who I'd been drawing since I was, I don't know, like five or six years old. Um, and just, you know, him and his roommate Reg, uh, living together and how that all panned out. Some of it was really funny and some of it was, was less so. And some of that material I've since, uh, rolled into my, my stand up set and some of it has been rightly forgotten. Cause I also do stand up comedy. Um, <laughs> burying the lead there a little bit. Um, but I did that for three years and, uh, the writing, uh, got commended a little bit. Um, I had some very positive feedback on my use of color, which I, was not something I'd really thought about with the webcomic, but a lot of people apparently liked the, the, the colors I was using. And after a while, um, my friend Ewan, uh, Ewan Mumford, who uh, he, he had a webcomic for Wildwood Rooms and would later go on to help me with the jump leads, um, came on to help me co-write the thing. And we had we kind of went off in a weird kind of pseudo sci-fi direction with it, which was kind of fun. Um, and I ended that comic in 2006 because I just wasn't having fun with it. I realized I wasn't enjoying drawing, um, but I was enjoying the writing. I was loving the writing, but I didn't like having to sit down and draw the characters and the expressions. And that's a shame because I've tried to come back to drawing a few times since. And I have done some stuff that I'm, I'm happy with, uh, but it just it never came back to me. And Fried kind of died a death. But um, in 2000 and, late 2006... I broke up with breaking up is a strong is is not is is not really the right word. Uh, I got out of an abusive a very abusive relationship. Um, it was a really rough time. It was it was uh, nearly when was it two thousand and three. So it was about it feels like it was three and a half years. I lose track. Um, but That's it, fine. Yeah, but it was it was it was a long relationship. It was a, you know two to three years. Um, of the, being in a relationship with this person who was kind of manipulative emotionally um, and uh, very, very, very good at emotional blackmail, very good at um, controlling. And I was easy to control because I had very low self-esteem and very low uh, confidence and, and didn't really believe in myself at that point. And, and, and she uh, fed on that and she fed into that. Um, and at the, in, in October of 2006, I, I, I got away from this person and decided I was going to immigrate and, um, and I guess kind of born from that want to escape, um, I started writing, uh, a science fiction comedy called Jump Leads, which is about these two trainees, um, Meanie and Llewellyn, who, uh, are trainees in a kind of, it's called the lead service, kind of self-appointed reality police. Um, and their job when they complete their training is to travel to parallel universes and, um, fix things like fix, like, you know, anomalies and you know basically police reality um and in the first story instead what happens is during a field training exercise their chaperone um gets killed and uh they wind up jumping from random parallel universe to random parallel universe in a broken down um interdimensional ship called a jump ship um and it was basically my attempt to write something that fused the uh the the, the styles of both Doctor Who, of which I've been a lifelong fan, and Red Dwarf, which is one of the best science fiction comedies um, ever conceived of by by man or beast, and it was kind of my attempt to kind of 
get that chocolate and that peanut butter and, and, and smush them together into something that, you know, didn't have peanut butter in it. Cause I don't like peanut butter. Um, mm. but, uh, I, sorry, I, 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 lo- I love peanut butter and chocolate. That's like my favorite combination. <laughs> I, I, I do like peanut butter and Nutella in a sandwich. I will, I, I will, I will, uh, accept that. But generally I don't like, I don't like Reese's pieces or Butterfinger. I, I don't like the way that Americans have candified peanut butter, which is a shame because get out of my podcast now. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Just kidding. Just kidding. The one thing that Americans do really well generally is peanut butter. They just haven't figured out how to make it work as a candy. But anyway, so. I came up with these characters. I wrote a script. I sent it to the BBC. I wrote it for television. And I got some very, very positive feedback from the BBC about the script. They love the concept. They love the characterization. Um, How did you send it to the BBC? Like, how did, I mean, it's interesting when you hear people say, like, well, I sent it to this company and this company. And you're like, well, how'd you do that? How, how did you, or did you just email them or did you? the the BBC have um they have something called the BBC Writers Room which is designed specifically to cultivate and encourage new talent and they take script submissions so i set, i wrote what was ostensibly a pilot for this show jump leads um and uh sent it to them and waited i want to say like 2 or 3 months and eventually got a response a very very friendly letter saying um that it's strong uh, the, the 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 comedy is good. The concept's strong. Um, the key criticism that they had of that first script was that the main characters aren't proactive. Like nothing, the, the story happens to them. They're not part of the narrative, and uh, that's still the case. If like that story ended up being the first issue of the comic when it appeared online, um, the story does happen to them. But I don't necessarily think that's negative. I don't think that. Uh, I mean, Indiana Jones, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones, that story happens to him. You remove him from the story, and the results are exactly the same. You know, the Nazis find the Ark of the Covenant and get their faces melted off. There's really no need for Indy to be part of that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, here it is. Um, but, you know, I, I that first, when, when the BBC said thanks, but no thanks, um, I basically decided, well, I can still do this as a webcomic. So I started looking for an artist, um, and in, I want to say, April or May of 2007, a, f- a friend of mine uh, put me in touch with this guy online called Jajar. Um, I sent him the script and said, well, first I sent him an email introducing myself. I said, I'm working on this thing. Um, would you be interested? He, he said, let me have a look at the script. So I emailed him the script and his response was two pages of character concept art and pencils for the first four pages. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So we launched the webcomic with the first four pages in uh, July of 2007. Um, Now, how did you launch that? Like, did you, what what website did you go through or did you, did you make like, did you make a website or? Oh yeah, we, we, we made the website. I, my friend Daniel, um, did uh, Daniel Barno, who's, uh, who's been one of my uh, most trusted, like, people with when it comes to web stuff i still go to him if i need help with like web design and so on um he i i designed an outline in photoshop and said this is what i want the website to look like this is what i want to happen when you know mouse over this element and so on and so on and he from my random scribblings and graphical elements i'd send him built a fully functional jump leads website that would allow me to upload pages that that could you know be uh you know amended and updated and you know posts could be made on the fly and uh yeah so we launched our own website which is still online to this day jump-leads.com uh where d- dash is of course a hyphen um and 
we started uploading up. We, tr- we you know we do a page a week. Sometimes we do two pages a week when uh, Jajar's schedule allowed. Um, but most notably, like this, I wasn't the only one writing. Uh, I had uh, my fr- my friend Ewan Mumford who had helped me with Fried, uh, Andrew Taylor, uh, and Paul Varley were kind of the core creative team. Where usually I would say, "Here's a concept." Here's a- I wrote a writer's bible and I said, "Write a story. Just go for it." I didn't ask for pitches. I said, "Send me a script." Um, and I learned a lot through that process. I was basically the head writer. I was kind of the um, Chris Carter, uh, except maybe with a little less focus uh, of, of, of jump leads. And I wrote, you know, I wrote, I think like of the stories that went up online, I think I wrote four of them, four, maybe four and a half. Um, and then the rest were either written by you and Paul or Andrew. And then uh, my friend, uh, Ben Maiden, uh, wrote a guest story, Chris Carter, who is not the Chris Carter I just referenced, but is a Chris Carter who's a, a, a cartoonist and uh, illustrator and, and colorist who's done coloring work for IDW titles like G.I. Joe, Transformers, Doctor Who. Um, wow. Actually contributed a story um, which I liked so much that he did it as kind of a guest thing and I liked it so much. I said, this is part of the narrative now. Like, this has happened to my characters. I, I, I loved it so much. Um and then the webcomic, I want to say in about 2010 or 2011, um, we were doing a story which was going to be kind of like our big season finale story that led into kind of what would have been basically like season two, for want of a better word, um, where the, the narrative would have shifted and we would have played around with the concept a little bit more. Um, Jajar started getting a lot of freelance work and was no longer available to work on the comic full time. So we brought Chris to help us out, initially to help us out with the colouring. So that was one thing that Jajar didn't have to worry about. Um, and then uh, when Jajar said, I'm sorry, I just I don't have the time to do this. We had another fellow come in by the name of Mr. Philby, who very graciously volunteered to help us finish the, the last story. So he stepped in at about the halfway mark through that story. And then we were updating anywhere between once a week and, you know, once every month or two. So readership at its peak, like when the comic was, like, I would say 2009, we were getting tens of thousands of, of readers. I think at one point we, we broke, you know, 100,000 uniques in a day. And that was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, the webcomic was doing really, really well. Um, and I still get messages from people who were like, I, you know, I remember reading the webcomic back in the day and I just rediscovered it. And, um, you know, it was very, very edifying to be writing what is really a long-form comic where it's like a comic book, but we're only up, we're uploading maybe one or two pages a week. Like, that's not really sustainable for a webcomic format, I don't feel. Unless you're doing a page a day, five days a week, I don't think that's sustainable. Um, <coughs> sorry. That's okay. <coughs> Pardon me. Bless you. You definitely want to edit that out. Um, <laughs> nope. Ah, um, so yeah, uh, the, the the comic was doing quite well. We did some cross promotional stuff with uh, uh, Starslip of Starslip Crisis, and Tahid Bondia was doing a comic at the time called uh, uh, Good Ship Chronicles, which was kind of Star Trek meets The Office, which I really really liked. I'm so sad that he he didn't keep doing it, but we did cross promotional stuff with them as well. Um, and, how, do you, uh, how did you do uh, cross promotion stuff? Like, what do you do for cross promotions? Well, with uh, with 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 Starslip initially, it was uh, Chris had there's there's online advertising called Project Wonderful where you basically bid for the ad space and it's super you know it's not, it's not tremendously expensive and it generates a little bit of income for for content creators online. Is that still uh, going on today? Or yeah, Project Wonderful is still still available. You can advertise on people who are using it to you know, generate revenue for their website, or you can, uh, you can put Project Wonderful ads on your own site and let people bid for it. It's, it's, it's a pretty nifty system. It never generated a huge amount of income for me, but it did allow to, you know, it did allow us to 
cover things like basic hosting and stuff, which was really cool. Um, but uh, I advertised on Chris's site through Project Wonderful. He doesn't have Project Wonderful on his site anymore and hasn't had for quite some time, but um, he found the comic through my advertising on his site we you know we we stayed in touch you know we got it you know we we would email each other and send messages and um i think i i ended up being on a couple of live calls on his his Ustream channel back in the day when he would you know stream while drawing one time he called me while i was in line for iron man uh <laughs> see my dad um and uh where was i going with this I know where I was going with this. Yeah, so um, Chris Straub ended up doing... He did this big Starslip crossover event that I can't remember the name of right now that featured um, a ton of crossovers with a bunch of characters and ships from various science fiction webcomics like Melonpool and Station V3. I don't, actually, I'm not sure if Station 3 was in it. I think Zortic was involved. There were a few other sci-fi um, characters and uh, sci-fi webcomics, and he was basically doing this big multiversal crossover event um, and J- Jump Leads was, was for a time pretty heavily involved in that, and that was really cool, and then he never finished it because it wasn't uh, working as a cross-promotional marketing tool, I think, in quite the way that Chris had hoped for, which is a shame because I, I thought what he was doing with the characters and the ship was was, was pretty bloody amazing. Um, and then with, with uh, Tahid Bondi, it was the same thing. I advertised on his site with Project Wonderful. I think he advertised on mine. Um like for me, like one of my favorite moments was actually looking at who was currently advertising on the Jump Leads website through Project Wonderful and discovering it was Telltale Games advertising one of their Sam Max titles. And I thought that was such a cool thing. And I'm sure that they just had this general like advertising campaign going out and didn't really see where they were advertising. But the fact that um, this game was being advertised on my site, I thought was such a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the comic ended in 2012, 2013, there about. I think it was 2012. Um, and I left it for a while. I didn't do anything with it. Um, but I always planned to come back to it, whether it was in comic form or something else. I always wanted to do more with these characters. Um, and then I decided in... It was about a year ago um, that I wanted to actively pull the trigger on doing it as, a, as an audio play series and uh, wrote the first few episodes and uh, recorded the first two episodes, I think, about nearly a year ago now, actually. Basically, that was our pilot um and we've been kind of very slowly trying to get the ball rolling on recording the rest of the first season and that should hopefully be happening very soon yeah i actually was able to listen to the first episode and it sounds fantastic oh thank you thank you very much we worked very very hard on that the sound design is all uh sean lyle who is an award-winning sound designer soundsman edit person and, and and he just uh he just knocked it out of the park with with everything i kind of sat in with him and uh he would ask me for advice and what do you want this to sound like? Like the sound of the jump ship was one of the first things that we designed. Like this, that sound taking off that kind of the key churning in the thing. And then the, the slow build up build culminating in that, that pop, which I can't now do because of the tendonitis. Um, but that was something that he and I worked on for like a couple of hours to get it to sound right. Um, and it, uh, it's, you know, he, the show would not have sounded half as good as it, as it did without his, uh, his guidance and involvement and love and uh, he made Jump Lead sound phenomenal. That's to say nothing of the cast as well. Chris Dorman, who uh, was in the web series 813, who is absolutely phenomenal, does a, a spot on Patrick Warburton uh, in that first episode. Um, Dina Andrade, who of course, you know, anyone who's, who's played World of Warcraft or Batman Arkham Asylum has heard his voice, um, voices a number of characters in that first episode. And then um, 
uh, Marissa Mizell, who is a stunningly talented voice actress, who I'm, I'm almost 100% confident she's going to, you know, we're going to go to record the first season uh, later this year, and she's going to say, I'm sorry, I'm unavailable. I got booked for this, you know, studio gig for, you know, they're reviving Animaniacs and they want me in or something like that, you know, uh, and, and, and we're going to lose her and it's going to be absolutely devastating, but she absolutely deserves it because she's phenomenally talented and all these people coming together, um, in their free time, because I can't afford to, you know, pay anyone. Um, but who, who read the script and care about it enough to want to make, make it happen is just, it's just, it's just, there's no word for it. You know, there's no word for, how it feels to have have people want to breathe life into something that you that you've written of their own volition without you know paychecks it's just it's just absolutely amazing you know i it, it's interesting when i'm not gonna lie you you're kind of name dropping but at the same time um it, it's fascinating how you can meet all these creative people like i i know who chris straub is like for i mean with, working with david on midnight marinara he's the writer of candle co yeah which uh, which is mind blowing. Like I and I didn't know it was him when I first found the story online. Um, and I actually asked because I did an episode of Port Center. I did a Halloween episode in my first season that looked at a an entirely fictional Candle Co video game. And I'd initially sent him an email saying, "Hey, do you mind if I do this?" And I'd never heard back from him. And I thought, "Fuck it, I'm just going to do it anyway." Um, and I may be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure. He said it was one of his favorite Candle Cove things that he'd seen. Um, and uh, But that was a lot of fun to write and do. And I, I remember editing it and thinking, I'm like, this is so lame. And I, this is one of the reasons why I don't write horror, because I can't, I'm so, I get in my own head about horror, and I think, is this too obvious? This feels too obvious. And I think that there's a difference between something that is obvious to you and obvious to a wider audience. Because I finished editing that episode, that Candle Cove episode, and thought, this is terrible. I've taken a brilliant idea that, 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 that Chris has had and I've shat all over it. This is a disaster, but I have to upload it because I've spent so much time on it. So I'll just upload it. People will hate it. It's fine. It doesn't matter. I'll carry on. And people love it. You know, people still talk about the Candle Cove episode of Port Center that I did, but I'm not ignorant of the fact that I absolutely made that episode off of the back of, uh, you know, the, the wonderful writing that, that, that Chris did. Um, and I, I couldn't, I, like half the time, I can't remember how I, uh, how, you know, Chris and I actually ended up like talking and, 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 and getting friendly. And he's one of the most friendly, wonderful, supportive, uh, imaginative, uh, writers, you know, creatives, I think working on the internet right now. And I, I, and I'm not saying that because I know him because I, you know, even if he and I had, you know, were to never, ever speak again, uh, I, I feel confident saying uh, saying two things. The first of which being, I wish I was still friends with Chris because he's a top guy. And the second thing being, he's 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 blisteringly brilliant. <laughs> I honestly think that um, he, that the work that he does is 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 astounding. And I feel privileged to uh, to know him and to have been able to you know work with him on a couple of occasions. Now, um, I actually get a question. This is a, this is actually a genuine question for me, sure. but I think a lot of people could benefit from this. You've been able to keep relationships with all these amazingly creative people. Now, I'm not going to say how, because those stories could go on and on and on. 
And, but I know there are multiple ways you can meet someone, and I'm going to just tell this to any listener out there. Uh, go to conventions. You can. The internet is a beautiful thing. You can get to know people there and work with them. And just meeting people in your daily life, it, it just like anything like that. Now the question is, how do you keep these friendships without feeling like you're overstepping your boundaries or like saying, thinking to yourself, oh, they're they're famous or I'm, they're too they're too good for me or something like that because I I've spoken with uh, a couple of people and um in the past and they've always said oh my gosh I would I would love to ask advice from this person I'm like and I've said oh I, I can completely connect can connect you to them if you want to and they're like oh no 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 I I, I couldn't do that so I mean that's I mean that's a, that's a that's a very big question and I don't feel like there is a right or wrong answer to that other than don't be weird. Like, don't be, don't be super creepy. I'm very lucky in that, um, I very rarely feel like I get starstruck. Like, oh, fuck you, cat. Come on. <laughs> really? I'm, I, I'm very lucky in that I don't feel like I very often get starstruck. I've been starstruck. The only time I get starstruck is when I meet anyone who's ever been in Doctor Who. And I mean that absolutely sincerely. Like, I met John Barrowman at, uh, John Barrowman at, at San Diego Comic Con in 2009. And Naoko Mori, who played Tosh in Torchwood, and I couldn't talk. Like I was, Aww. I was freaking out. Um, and then later, you know, they both, you know, got a copy of the first Jump Leads book off of me, and I, th- I thought that was really, really sweet of them. Um, and that's really the only time that I've ever lost it, or, or will ever lose it, is if I meet like Katie Manning, who played uh, Joe Grant in in uh, Doctor Who from season eight to season ten back in the seventies. I mean, she uh she, she was just an absolute delight and i got to talk to her about you know f- following one's dreams and, and and being a creative and i feel like i say being a creative or the word creative a lot now i don't, I don't want people to think that's a douchey thing because it's not but like there's so many it's it's such a wonderfully uh all-encompassing word for like writing acting you know musician being a musician a, being well, a songwriter that's, yeah that's the word i use when um for this podcast, it's like, well, what do you do? It's like, well, it's to help um, creatives, creative people become yeah. creative professionals. Yeah. And it's hard because it's like you wish to use another word, like you want to say artist, but it's like, but that's not as in, as all encompassing yeah. or entertainers. And I'm like, but even then, that's not all encompassing. Yeah, because I mean, I, I genuinely believe this. Art is not always about entertainment, and entertainment isn't always about being art. happy. Or art, even you know, I, I I feel very strongly like people, and this is particularly true in America. Um, and I'm, this, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. This is an observation rather than, than a con- condemnation. But people have this idea that you should reach the end of a movie or a TV show and you should feel happy. And I don't think that's true. I, I fundamentally just dis- yeah, I disagree with it. Um, I don't. The, it is not the place of good art to leave you feeling happy. Good art. Good television, a good film, a good book, a good song, a good novel, a good painting, a good sculpture shouldn't just make you feel happy. It should make you feel, you know, and that's why I get whenever people get pissy about, like, oh, this character died on this TV show. Um, I, um, it happened a while ago now, so I feel free talking about it without potentially spoiling it. But when Ianto Jones died in the third season of Torchwood, people and it was a very small, very vocal minority, was so angry that it had happened. But it's like, you know, tough. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people stopped watching Torchwood as a result of that. And in fairness, they all they missed was the last episode of Children of Earth, which was really, really good. So their loss. And then all of Miracle Day, which was not as good. So, you know, their gain, I guess. And, you know, they, they they lose one good episode and ten mediocre ones. So fair, fair dues. Um, but television media stories aren't just about putting a smile on your face. They're about putting a feeling inside of you. They are about the the people who help craft that piece of art ejaculating emotions inside of your chest cavity and you just feel you have to feel them you have to feel them like if you finished torture if you got through all five episodes feeling like an emotional fucking wreck good i'm glad that you feel that way because that means that it touched you emotionally you know and that's that's what art is i don't know i i I'm deviating from the thing because I know that we're supposed to be talking about relationships, and I think honestly, I'm I'm procrastinating, which I I do fairly frequently, um, because I don't think there is a good answer to that. Like I don't know how I cultivate these these friendships and these relationships, and I, I not even with other creatives, not even with like quote unquote big names, um, because a lot of people gravitate towards me, and for the life of me, I cannot. I mean, this is a conversation that you and I have had separate from this podcast. Is Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't get why people are drawn to me. I, I cannot understand it. People, you know, some people have said, oh, it's because you're charming, which I don't agree with. I think the accent does a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> um, people have said, one person said to me, it was someone I met at Gallifrey, one actually, the, the Doctor Who convention they have here in Los Angeles. Someone said to me uh, that when I talk... Um, I'm open, and when I listen, I make the person I'm listening to feel like the only person in the room. And I don't know whether that's true, because I can't remove myself from myself and get that perspective. But that's the first time, I guess, anyone's ever articulated why and how. Um, I'm, for want of a better, I don't know what the term would be, like a, a, a magnetic personality. I, I don't feel that way, but people are drawn to me. People want to stay in touch um and one of the things go ahead i mean uh, go ahead i don't mean to interrupt no i mean i I wasn't going to say anything of of particular value i mean one of the things i'm known for on the internet is in 2010 doug jones came to my house to give me a haircut and those photos are on the internet they're very easy to find um but people are like how did that happen how does how does how does Doug Jones how does Abe Sapien how does you know the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth come into your home and give you you know a, a trim and a haircut and it's like we met at an event we got chatting we swapped contact details we followed each other on Twitter I mentioned offhand on Twitter one day that I needed a haircut he offered to come over and do it so he did like I I, I don't it's it's a it's a wonderfully delightfully mad sequence of events that led to me getting a haircut from a guy who once played a supernatural fish person. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, Doug and I still, you know, we still occasionally see each other and he's always big and warm and friendly and ridiculous. And he, when he hugs you, it's like being, you know, his spindly arms wrap around you and it's like getting hugged by Jack Skellington or a giant spider. Um, (laughs) But he's, he's, he's a genuinely warm person, but he, for whatever reason, thinks I'm the cat's pajamas. You know, I have, a, I have a producer friend at Paramount who feels the same way. Like, she's she's my biggest fan, and I don't understand it. I don't get it. Um, but she's so warm and open and friendly and supportive that I'll give her, you know, if she needs me to volunteer to help her with a project, then I'm there because she's just such a kind person. She's helped me out in so many ways over the last few years from booking me for 
private parties to do stand up to letting me use her her uh, uh, her AAA when my car's been in trouble and buying me lunch and dinner every now and then. You know, like she's. I don't know what I have done to merit the level of support and love from people who don't know me, let alone the people who do. And yet, you know, here we are. This is that that's it's it's the background radiation of my life is this unquantifiable support system and this friendship with just impossibly kind individuals, including yourself, you know, people who are uh, who, for whatever reason, think I'm worth investing their time and friendship and love in. And I, I, I don't know how to quantify that in my own head and i don't really know how to articulate it and it troubles me sometimes but i i'm I'm thankful for it because i i I don't think i would be here without it no um i was once told like i i've worked in the entertainment industry before uh one of the things i was told um was i'm too nice and that actually hit me really kind of hard when at the time because I thought, wow, so because I'm too nice, I can't survive in this industry or I can't mm. work in entertainment because of this. Um, but as I start to, I mean, I the reason I do this podcast is because it's on my own terms, well, and it I don't have to follow the entertainment industry rules, but I still I've been able to connect more with people in entertainment and artists. Uh, art with artists and creatives, et cetera, et cetera, by just being nice. And yeah. I realized just being a good, friendly person and just really recognizing that people are just people. And it, it hasn't really made all the difference in the world. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, everyone is just people, you know? I mean, when I was, I was exhibiting at San Diego Comic-Con last, last year, um, and there was a point where, uh, they'd closed off the, uh, the, the alley near us because they were going to be leading the cast of Batman v Superman to the, the Warner brothers booth. And I was joking, Ben Affleck is stopping me from peeing because I needed to go to the bathroom <laughs> and I couldn't get to it. So I was like, Ben Affleck wouldn't let me pee, <laughs> which dovetails rather nicely into an event from like 2000 and eight where he very nearly hit me with his car. I don't think he even knows that happened, but uh, he doesn't know who I am. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> but, you know, I, I joke, oh, Ben Affleck stopped me from peeing, but the reality of the situation is he didn't have any control over that situation. He's just a guy who was doing a job. He was doing the, the it was it was, it was was part of the promotion for the film. Like, he's just, you know, he's an employee. He's just trying to get through his day like everyone else. Everyone is just trying to get uh, through the day. And I firmly believe that the every action that everyone takes throughout their lives uh has is is done with two goals in mind they don't want to go to bed hungry and they don't want to go to bed lonely um and i think on a good day i managed to cover half of those bases um and that's kind of the, that's kind of the connecting tissue between everyone on the planet is that we we all we all want to make sure that our our basic needs are met and we want to you know have people in our lives who you know bring something to the table and make us feel like we are valued and who in turn we can then place value upon. And maybe if we're lucky, make them feel valued. And then if we're lucky, you know, further down the line, there's, there's, you know, you get to be in a, in a loving relationship with someone and you get to, you know, 
share a bed and argue over whose Steam account gets to use the, you know, the gift card that your mother got you for Christmas because you only got the one card and it's for both of you. Like, you can't split it. <laughs> that's not how they work. Um, you know, and it's, there's, there's something... We're all just people. And I think that we elevate... We elevate, quote-unquote, celebrities and... Uh, successful household names we elevate them because they're everywhere like everyone knows who the kardashians are and the kardashians are famous famous. even even, let's not let's let's not take it that high let's even start at a lower level i mean there's people i've spoken to are like um like i have one of my friends um was just in shock that i could possibly be friends with the voice actor who voiced gur from invader zim yeah it's like which I it's just baffled me because I'm like he I live in LA it's yeah. not like it's not that hard and but he's just like oh, that's so cool oh my gosh what's he like oh and it's just like it, it's amazing if you or another good example is like I, I befriended a like people in bands and people will just like if you get that right name if it yeah, they will geek out and be like, "Oh my gosh!" and they think they're higher just because they've reached some level of fame. Yeah, it's, and it's they like, know it. It's like a couple of weeks ago when I posted an old photo from a few years ago of me sitting on a couch with Patton Oswalt, and people are flipping out, and it's like, "Oh my god, how did you meet?" Or you're just sitting next to him like he's a normal person. It's like, well, he yeah, is. He is a normal person, and we were sitting and and having conversations about like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And principally the Serenity comic that he'd written that he was there to promote because it was, you know, House of Secrets and it was a signing event, you know. Um, and then, you know, I, and, and Ricky as well, who who was the voice of Gurr, is, is, you know, it's easier for me to not really see him as the voice of Gurr because I've actually, I never saw Invader Zim growing up. Like, I, have, I, I was never so, exposed to it. I don't know a lot of people keep telling me I should see it, but... Um, I, I, I'm not going to tell you if you should see it or not. I did see, I'm on the opposite spectrum. I did grow up watching it and I I knew the voice really well. And And actually knows, knows the show as well. She's, she's a huge fan of Invader Zim. Uh, and, uh, you know, I see Ricky and I see this, this delightfully goofy looking man with the vibrant hair and the hat and the waistcoat and the, the weird choices and shirts and pants and shoes. And I think that is a character, Mm -hmm. uh, and he's, he's a character he, in his own right. I, oh yeah! Oh my I, god! I, I <laughs> could so easily separate him from Gur. Yeah. Like there's like when I it's like a point. It's like I'll talk to him and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. He voices Gur, huh? <laughs> it's, it's the same with Dino. Like I mean, I met Dino before he did um, Arkham Asylum, but uh, with with Dino, it's you know before anything else before anything else dino is uh, a friend and a brother he's family to me you know he's one of the first friends i made when i came to this country and i'm not i'm not gonna like mince words like the shape of my life would be radically different if i had not met dino like the the friendships i've made the relationships i've had the the work that i've done without Dino, just simply, it would not have been there. I owe Dino uh, everything that I have. And I love him for that. And I love him for the person that he is. And he's he's this wonderful, supportive, uh, tiny, tiny man. Uh, tiny. Uh, he is. I mean, he's not, 
he's not that short, but he's shorter than me, therefore he's tiny. Um, but he's shorter than you, though. That, that's what makes it so funny to call everyone tiny. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, I, the, Dino, the fact that he's now the Scarecrow in, in Batman Arkham, or he's been the Scarecrow in Batman Arkham Asylum now, like, for se- for seven years, and he's all over World of Warcraft now, and Neverwinter, and Star Trek Online, like, I don't think of him as the Arkham Asylum guy, I don't think of him as the Scarecrow, I don't think of him as the guy who's done voices for World of Warcraft, I think those are, those are successes that someone I care about has had, and when you're friends with someone who is a creative, who's had that those successes... That's how you think of them. I don't think of... I don't go around telling people, oh, I'm friends with the guy who played Abe Sapien. Um, you know, I... I Because that's not... I, what, who would do that? What kind of douchebag does that? Um, you know, I think of Doug, first and foremost, as one of the nicest people I've ever met. And the fact that he's also been in these movies and the fact that he was the Silver Surfer and, you know, I just think, what, what, what a tremendously talented guy. I, 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 I'm always bowled over by the talent of the people that i know and i'm not i mean i i i think of dino and and doug and ricky on the same level that i think of people like you and david and and chris and anyone else i i just i just feel very fortunate to be surrounded by talented friends who are good at what they do um and who care about what they do and and who also very luckily for me and for them happen to be wonderful, wonderful people. You know, I think if, if you turn around tomorrow and murdered 50 people, I'd be upset about that. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That just took a dark turn. Yeah. I don't even know why I took that turn. I think I'm just tired to be honest. Okay. Actually, I probably should get back on topic. Sure. Uh, Yeah. Let's do that. Let me, first off, um, I should ask, what do you do, uh, for the writing process? Like, um, like, well, consider writing like any job. Um, do you, what do you do as a, as a, like, um, when someone goes to work, they go through a daily process. What's yours for writing? I, I don't have a, a, a daily or not daily process, process but like, uh, like how, how do I get a story out of my head and onto a page or more like a, well, what do you do? like writing a script? Like, do you, do you just start off with a draft? Do you, who, who do you send it to? Da, 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 da. It's, I mean, that's that's such a big question. Well, they're all big questions. If this, this weren't a podcast of big questions, there wouldn't be any point in doing it. Um, but my writing process has changed so much. And uh, over the not just over the years, but like very recently as well. Like when I wrote that first episode of Jump Leads, it was literally, this is the this is the story that's in my head. And I just bashed it out. And I went through and made it funnier. And then I saved it. I printed it. I mailed it to the BBC. Uh, and I made very few revisions between the BBC saying, yeah, but no, uh, and sending it to Jajar to, to eventually draw as a comic. Um, my process used to be come up with a basic idea, have a rough idea of what direction you want to take it in, um, and just write, let it pour out. Um, I didn't do, I didn't do outlines and treatments and I still kind of don't, uh, I don't like, outlines and treatments because i don't like feeling constrained by where i want the story to go i don't feel like well if a character says this or does that i don't want to feel like i can't go off in this direction instead i want to feel like i can for want of a better a a, a better term i want to feel like i can let the story tell itself rather than me telling the story and i realize that sounds again cocky and arrogant but that's how i how i've written some of my best stuff um more recently my writing process 
particularly on jump leads writing the audios, has changed significantly because I switched writing software. I used to use a program called Celtics, C-E-L-T-X. It's, it's, oh, it's yes. A, I used yeah. to use that. Yeah, it's free script writing software. It's available. You can buy desktop versions for the Mac. Um, you can also get free versions for Android and iOS devices. Um, but they used to have a Windows version. And they stop. They stop supporting it. So you have to use their web platform, and I really don't like their web platform. It's buggy and inconsistent, and you have to be connected to the internet to use it, which I really, really do not like. I want to be able to sit and write in a distraction-free environment, and I cannot do that with Celtics. Um, and the fact that they they staunchly refuse to support Windows as a platform anymore is like, okay, well then you don't get any of my money. Sayonara. Um, so I switched to another program right, that I use right now called Scrivener, which is for PC and Mac, or it's for Windows and Mac. Um, and Scrivener, I think, might be the best writing software I've ever, ever used. It is wonderful, not just as a scripting platform, uh, not just because it has templates ranging from, you know, American screenplay to BBC uh, radio play scene format, which is what I use for Jump Leads, or I use a slightly tweaked version for that, um, but because it is designed with with writing as a process in mind it's designed to you know write your treatment and write your you know scene by scene outlines and you know figure out how you want your plot to break down and collect collating your research like you can it when you when you make a scrivener project you can import like documents and web links and stuff when you're doing research and that that is absolutely invaluable and it's become invaluable to me so my process now when i write compared to how I used to write 10 years ago, is I write, I do write a version of an outline in Scrivener. Um, and I write, uh, Scrivener has this kind of, for want of a better term, this, this cork board where you can put on um, like note cards. And on each note card, I write a very, very brief synopsis of what that scene is about. And I can then double click on that note card and it opens up that scene so I can start writing the scene. Um, so... I'll do that. I'll move stuff around. I'll rewrite stuff. It was through Scrivener. I did a massive rewrite of one of the episodes of Jump Leads that will be coming out as an audio um, because I realized structurally this story would be more interesting if I changed character motivation A to character motivation B instead and move that motivation from this character to this group of people. And I was able to play around with that on, on the court board on, on Scrivener and realized, oh my God, this is this is so much better. And I don't think I would have been able to do that if I were doing my old, my, my previous method, which was basically busking a story, just kind of sitting there and, you know, bashing it out and hoping that, you know, I, I, I get returns. You know, I have so many unfinished scripts because I just sit down to start writing or I would sit down to start writing. And I reach a point where I didn't either didn't know where the story needed to go or where it should go or could go, or I would just, it would just run out. Like whatever I'd poured into it, had run dry. Um, whereas I haven't run into that yet with Scrivener because I'm writing these outlines. Um, and writing outlines isn't for anyone. Like Russell T Davies, um, when he was running, you know, he was the showrunner of Doctor Who, famously never wrote an outline, never did an outline in his life. He knew where the story needed to go and he could see it in his head and he was a very visual man. He would draw cartoons and stuff, but um, he was never, uh, never felt beholden to writing a treatment or an outline for a story in his life. And the only time he ever did that when he was when he was having dinner with Kylie Minogue to pitch a story to her to appear in a Doctor Who Christmas special, which ended up becoming Voyage of the Damned. Um, that's the only time when he's ever felt compelled to write an outline for, for an episode. And even then, he made that up on the fly while he was having dinner with her. He didn't prepare that ahead of time. Nice. So, you know, I mean, there's no one real 
correct way to write whatever your process is whatever gets the story out of your head and onto your onto the page in the best form possible that's your process and 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 celebrate that because it works for you like not doing a treatment or an outline worked for me in a few instances because it allowed me to write some of some of the best stuff I've written. But I honestly think the stuff I'm doing now that I'm using Scrivener, uh, I don't mean to sound like I'm plugging the crap out of it, but I'm. Well, I, I, but the, this this is why this is good to hear. Like, yeah. nope, I didn't know about Scrivener. Scrivener's fantastic. I mean, um, and... I, I, I've dabbled with like Final Draft is like the industry standard for script writing. I don't like Final Draft. It's very constrictive. Um, and there's stuff it just doesn't do. Like, it doesn't do audio play script formats. It, it doesn't do them at all. I really don't like that. Um, but Scrivener does, does, you know, a lot of the stuff that Final Draft does, in some cases, better. It does a lot of stuff that Final Draft doesn't do. And Final Draft is like $200 and change. Scrivener's 40 bucks. Like, you know, the, the, the cost of entry to be able to write scripts in a format that the industry can kind of look at and go, oh, I know what this means. Um, ranges from as low as free if you don't mind using stuff like uh, like Celtics or Celtics, however it's bloody pronounced, <laughs> uh, to to forty bucks if you want to use Scrivener, which you know you can, you know, online sales like Nano the Nano If you buy Scrivener with a with a Nano discount, you save ten percent on that. Or you know, I got it fifty percent off on a on you know during a sale on a, on a, a separate website, you know. That's 20, 20 to 40 bucks or 20 to 45 bucks, depending on whether you're on a PC or a Mac, uh, for what is, I think, the best script writing software on the planet. It's fantastic. There's other software out there. You know, you can shell out the 200 clans for, for Final Draft. Uh, those tools are available to you. Or just use, you know, use OpenOffice, use LibreOffice, use Microsoft Word, you know. Find the tools that work for you and and use them and make, make tell your story because there's nothing stopping you. There's absolutely nothing stopping you. Those tools are out there. You you can use Notepad if you want to. You know. Now I got a question. Um, I know this is supposed to be this is kind of taboo. Blah blah blah. Um, have you ever been paid for any of your positions or your writings? Yeah. Um, I've been very lucky. I wrote for a web series called Chick. Um. I wrote for its second season. I helped develop the, I helped develop the the, the plot for the second season, um, and then I got actually got paid to write. I, I wrote a couple of scripts and, and got paid fifty bucks for each. Um, the show didn't materialize. The showrunner decided she wanted to pitch it to TV instead, and uh, as of yet, that hasn't uh, happened. Uh, and I think it's been about four years. I don't know what she's doing with it. I should drop her a line at some point because I mean, w the stuff we came up with I thought was really interesting, and I really liked the stuff that I wrote for her. How did um, you get into something like that? Um, I think there was a, it was a job listing on Mandy.com, which does a lot of industry, you know, writing and uh, directing and stuff. And some of it sometimes it's not doesn't pay a lot, or sometimes it doesn't pay at all. But occasionally I'll go on there and apply for writing gigs, and I happened to apply for this one, and went and interviewed with the the showrunner, and she and I got on quite well, and uh, then she invited me to to join the creative team, and it was yeah. a, a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, nothing I, sh I wrote got uh, filmed, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I I'm very very happy to say that you know I was very happy with what I wrote, and very happy with the feedback I got from that. Um, at the moment, I actually earn. Uh, a, a little bit of money. I write articles for a website called Nerd Approved and, and a few of its sister sites, um, which is just pretty general, like geeky stuff. Like, look at this hovering Death Star lamp, and look at this, you know, uh, you know, sometimes news updates about, you know, things like 
the the TV adaptation of of Good Omens that Neil Neil Gaiman's overseeing, or <laughs> uh, the the Doctor Who showrunner changeover, or something really cool that someone's made out of Lego. And it's not necessarily. Here's the thing: is that that kind of story, that those kind of like regurgitated uh, geek news websites, writing those kind of stories can be incredibly samey. Um, but I I try not to let it be that. I try to make my writing of those stories interesting in some way i try to play with the format of those websites and i try to write something that i'm not always interested in writing what i think is entertaining for the reader to read i don't always think of it in those terms but absolutely i think of it in terms of uh what's interesting for me to write um which means i've been i feel very lucky to have been able to take a a, a story about the loch ness monster or the discovery of a, a broken down Loch Ness monster film prop at the bottom of Loch Ness and kind of turned that article into a joke about clickbait. Or yeah. uh, I, I did an article, I was asked to do a write-up, I mentioned this a second ago, but I was asked to write about a hovering Death Star table lamp. And in <laughs> doing so, in checking the Amazon page, discovered that the product photos were some of the most appallingly, hilariously terrible photoshopped images I'd ever seen in my life. So when they sent me the link, my my response to that was, well, I've got if I'm going to write about this, I'm going to write about how terrible these photos are. So that's what my story was about, and they published it. You know, sometimes you write a joke or you try a concept and it doesn't work and it gets rewritten by the editor. That's fine. But I, I one of the things I absolutely love about Nerd Approved and it's uh, it, those network of you know that network of sites that's nerdalicious.com and uh, fashionablygeek.com uh, is the uh, Sean Fallon, who's the the, uh, the editor there, uh, gives me free reign to try stuff. And if he likes it, it makes it to the website. If not, he edits it. Um, but I have that freedom, and I genuinely, like, I really appreciate that because it's so easy for websites that do that kind of, um, you know, for want of a better term, regurgitated journalism or regurgitism, which is not a word, but it should be. Um, regurgitism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so easy for those sites to kind of fall into the same pattern and patter. And uh, I try very hard to inject the stuff I write there um, with personality um, and to just really to justify, you know, whatever I'm being paid to, to, to write about and to just make it entertaining because anyone can bash out, you know, Hey, it's uh, someone did a Lego recreation of the Winchester pub from Shaun of the dead, which I haven't seen. That just popped into my head. I think that'd be really cool. Actually. Um, Please someone get on that. Someone, please, absolutely, let me know when you do so I can write about it for the website. Um, it's really easy to to write, look at this, isn't it neat? You know, you can Little Mermaid your way through any kind of... Uh... I was just going to make a Little Mermaid joke. Yeah. You, you know, beat me to it. You can do it. You can write about who's it's and what's it's galore all you like, but, you know, you've got to find a way of doing that that gets your personality across and that entertains yourself. And if you if you can entertain yourself, if you get lucky, you entertain you know readers at the same time, and that's my approach to writing that kind of material. And it's not what I want to be doing long term, and it's 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 not necessarily what I saw myself doing when I thought I you know getting paid to write. But you know what, I still do it, and I I make it enjoyable, you know, and I, I don't feel like I'm doing something that. I would rather not be. I never sit down to write those articles thinking, I wish I were doing something else. Because whatever they ask me to write about, whatever links they throw at me, whatever products or cool things that they find that they want me to do the write-up for, I know that's a writing challenge. Uh, and I can make it entertaining for myself, even if no one else gets to see the version that I wrote 
or uh, or no one else gets the joke or no one else even sees it i'm having fun writing that version of the article for myself and just as often as not that's the version that gets published more or less and i'm very very happy that i have that that kind of creative freedom okay i'm gonna have to wrap up this sure. uh, episode but god you gave so much advice i'm like geez <laughs> uh any last minute advice you'd like to give to anyone who's looking to become a writer? Um, yeah, I, I think the best advice I can give you is learn the difference between constructive criticism and bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and not only learn the difference between the two, learn the difference between how you feel about both. Bullshit is when someone looks at something that you've drawn or written or recorded or or, so, or, or any kind of creative work that you've created and they go... It's shit, isn't it? This is rubbish. It's not very good. Like they might not use those yeah. British terms, not use, but yeah, they may not use those terms. But there's no substance to that. What do you mean it's not good? There's nothing there. You can't engage with that person because they're not giving constructive criticism. You're going to get that from friends, from family, from strangers on the internet leaving comments. This isn't very good. This video is terrible. There's nothing there. Ignore those people. Ignore the people who are trying to give you. Uh, or just trying to say this isn't very good, as if their opinion fucking matters. It doesn't matter whether they didn't like it. You know, that ultimately does not matter. But if someone is giving you a piece of constructive criticism, if you have recorded a song and someone says, this is quite good, I think the bridge, uh, I think the guitar solo in the bridge doesn't quite work. I think maybe there's a couple of things you could do here and there. Or if you give someone a script and they say, this is, I really like this, but I don't understand this character's motivation, uh, or uh, you could you could remove this scene and, and, and streamline the story, or if you combine these characters, you know, learn the difference between bullshit and constructive criticism, and learn to differentiate between the constructive, the, how you feel about the constructive criticism. If someone says to you, um, there are ways you could improve this, because that's what constructive criticism really is. Um, if someone says to you, there are ways you can improve this, and here's how you could conceivably do that. Um, if your first thought is, and, and if you get this with every piece of constructive criticism you get, how dare they? How fucking dare they? Then the problem isn't with them. The problem is with you. Like, I know people who have been given constructive criticism, really solid constructive criticism about stuff that they've written or, or produced or whatever, any kind of creative endeavor, to the point where they've either just had a little hissy fit about how dare they, I, I don't need to do this, make these changes, like what I've done, this is art, um, to, well, I don't want to do this anymore. If your reaction to being told... Um, you can make these improvements. Here's something you could be doing differently. Here's a technical thing that you 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 need improving that you need to improve upon. Um, if your immediate reaction to that is I don't want to do this anymore, then you didn't want to do it in the first place. You know, mm -hmm. think about think about why you have the reactions that you do to constructive criticism, and and learn to differentiate those feelings. If someone gives you genuine constructive criticism, and your first thought is that could work, or even in the other ways. I see why you think that. I don't think it it's the right call, but thank you for for sharing. Like that's that's those are the thoughts that you have that will take you on the path from being a good writer or a good creator to a, a fantastic one. You know, it's going to take you have, being able to discern the difference between wanting to punch someone in the face for telling you what they thought of your story. Uh, to, the, the difference between that emotional reaction and, you know, 
maybe that advice has some merit. And here's the thing, any advice that anyone gives you, you don't have to take, you don't have to listen to a word that I've said in, you know, during the course of this podcast, do what you want to do, but also keep in mind that constructive criticism comes from somewhere. Um, and non-constructive criticism, deconstructive criticism, you know, whatever the term is for that's just, oh, this is bullshit. This is terrible. It's awful. It's rubbish, mate. Um, you don't have to pay attention to that. You know, because that doesn't have any merit. There's no weight there. But if you, you know, learn to learn to register. I'm talking in circles now. This is this is Donna Lose's track. But yeah, learn to discern how you feel when you're given constructive criticism, um, and what that means for you as a as a creator. Because if your immediate reaction is I don't have to listen to this, maybe you're not in. Or, or if your immediate reaction is I don't have to listen to this, or well I don't want to do this now because I'm not great at it already, then you didn't want to do it in the first place. If it takes one person saying this isn't very good because for you to for you to put down the pen or you know uninstall Scrivener from your laptop or you know put the guitar in the cupboard and let it gather dust, your heart was never in it in the first place. You know, find something you care about, do something that you care about, whatever that may be, and do that. That's really good to hear. Now, um, now it's plug time. Where can we yeah. find you? Um. All of my current stuff can be found on benpadden.net. There are links there to everything I've done and doing or ha- about to do, um, ranging from the Jump Leads webcomic to the upcoming audios, uh, Boomer's Day Off, uh, the, uh, the Dalek Gary. Uh, I believe there is currently a link there for the Soul Geek Singles Nights, which I co-host in uh, in Van Nuys every two months with the aforementioned Dino Andrade. Uh, that, that's a Geek Singles Night. If you're in the LA area, you're welcome to join us. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ben Padden. Uh, I'm on Instagram. That's exactly the same, Ben Padden. I'm on Tumblr, Ben Padden. Um, I think that my Facebook is facebook.com slash Ben Padden. Uh, th- these are all great places to f- find out what I'm doing uh, and and to get in touch. I always like hearing from people who uh, you know either are interested in what I've done, are interested in what I'm doing, or just want to chat. Like I'm a lonely. <laughs> Listen, like I like human interaction, so by all means, feel free to feel free to, you know, emote at me. Oh, that's sweet. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. <laughs>